We are sampling the Psalms for a few weeks here, and we're going to look this morning at Psalm 54. Probably one of the Psalms that isn't that familiar to us, Psalm 54, and we read verses 1 through 7. Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your power. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, and violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. He will recompense the evil to my foes. Destroy them in your faithfulness. Willingly, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all trouble, and my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your Spirit, and I pray that you would apply them to our lives today. For Jesus' sake, we pray in his name. Amen. I don't know if you ever read Charlie Brown or watch Charlie Brown, but Charlie Brown and And Lucy, we're having a conversation one day. And Lucy's back is turned to Charlie. Her arms are crossed. And she has this very disgusting look on her face. And Charlie is standing with his arms open, just pleading with her to be understanding. And and he says to her, Lucy, you must be loving. This world really needs love. You have to let yourself love to make this world a better place in which to live. And Lucy whirls around and screams and says, The world I love, it's people I just can't stand. (laughs) I wonder if David, as he wrote this psalm, could understand what uh, Lucy was saying. Uh, There were people that were giving David all kinds of trouble. And it wasn't because he had wronged them. He was not getting what he deserved In fact, he is certain that in this situation he was innocent because he asks God to vindicate him. Notice how the psalm begins, Save me, O my God, by your name, and vindicate me by your power. So as we look at this psalm, it really has something to do with what. how do we respond when we have been wronged by someone else? How do we deal with that when we've done nothing wrong, but we've been on the receiving end of someone who has wronged us? Well, I think there's three lessons that we can learn this morning. The first one is is not the most positive thing in the world, but it is true. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. You live among fallen people who will wrong you. Sooner or later, you are going to be on the receiving end of wrongdoing when you have done nothing wrong. Now, before we examine the the text of this psalm, we need to look at the superscription. You have that in your Bible written above the passage that gives us kind of a historical setting. It's for the choir director, so it must have been sung. Um, And it also was for stringed instruments, so there was accompaniment. 
It's a maskil of David. And here's the setting. When the Ziphites came and said to Saul, Is not David hiding himself among us? So notice you have the Ziphites mentioned and you have Saul mentioned. Let's look at Saul first of all. King Saul. David is described here as in hiding. Hiding from King Saul. So we know a little bit about the background here, and we find the background to this in the book of First Samuel. And you read about their relationship, David and Saul. It started pretty well because David, he ministered to Saul in some, really some wonderful ways. Played the harp when Saul was distressed. Defeated Goliath. When Saul's uh, soldiers were shaking in their boots with, with fear. In fact, whatever Saul asked him to do, he did. We find this comment in 1 Samuel 18 verse 5, that David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war, and it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So David was a man that He did everything Saul asked him to do. And Saul ought to have been thankful for a man like David. A man who prospered, a man who led his army in in defeat of of other armies. You'd think that Saul would say, here is my man. (laughs) David is my man. He does well for me in whatever he does. But we know the story, right? (laughs) Saul's attitude toward David was anything but thankful. And we find that in 1 Samuel chapter 18. It says, as they were returning, the army coming back from killing Goliath, all the women came out and they were greeting the army. And that was probably a common thing. When the army came back from victory, the people would come out and rejoice. And there they were, singing, playing instruments. A wonderful song. Saul has slain his thousands. I bet you Saul is saying, yeah, yeah. But then the next phrase, and David his ten thousands. And I'm sure the expression on King Saul's face changed just like that. And we're told his attitude was, he became very angry. The saying displeased him, and he said, They've ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me just thousands. Then he says, Now what more can he have but the kingdom? (laughs) Which was true, right? And Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Saul started out as a good king, but he, he developed a very large ego. A very huge ego problem. And his jealousy of David turned into such a hatred that he just had to kill him. He tried to pin him to the wall twice with a spear and David knew he was in deep trouble, so he went off into the desert. And this is where he wrote this psalm. Psalm 54. Now, if I was in David's shoes, I think it might have been at least a little bit surprising that Saul would want to kill him. 
You can understand how the Philistines would want to kill you, but here's the guy that you served so faithfully, a guy that should have been thankful that, that, that you were part of his kingdom. How could it be that the king would actually want to kill you? But that's what happens in this world. You can be blindsided by someone you thought was your friend, you thought was your ally. And some of you have experienced that in life. Where did that come from? I thought we were friends. I thought we were in this together. And all of a sudden, there is an attack upon you. And it's like, whoa, how on earth did that happen? Then you have the Ziphites. Anybody know who the Ziphites are? I don't see any hands. I didn't either. I had to look it up. Who are the the Ziphites? If you were an Israelite, you would immediately know who the Ziphites are, but you're not Israelites, so I'll, I'll help you out on that. They were not foreigners like the Philistines. They were not Gentiles. They were part of the kingdom of Judah. And so when David was hiding, he was hiding in home territory. This was his country. This was his land. This was his people. And yet... You had the Ziphites who were telling Saul where David was. So you got the king who's out to kill you, and then you got the Ziphites providing information as to where David was. So David learned in a very painful way that opposition can come from some very surprising sources. Those who you thought... We're with you. And ended up, they were not. Now, if you look at how David describes Saul and the Ziphites in this psalm, you'll see something interesting. In verse 3, he says, For strangers have risen against me, and violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. Now, you can understand the reference to violent men because that would certainly picture Saul and his army because they were out to kill him. But why would he call Saul and the Ziphites strangers? Why strangers? I found it interesting how this word is used in the Old Testament. It doesn't always describe someone who's unknown, someone who you know, has no knowledge of you. Job uses this word to describe his family. <laughs> Job 19, verse 13. Job writes, He has removed my brothers far from me, and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. There's the word. My relatives have failed, and my intimate friends have forgotten me. Those who live in my house and my maids consider me a stranger. I am a foreigner in their sight. And he goes on to even say that my, that my breath is offensive to my wife. <laughs> and she looked at him probably as a stranger too, as a foreigner. Get him away from His breath is so bad. So it was used to describe someone from Job's own family. David uses the same word in Psalm 69, verse 8. He says, I have become estranged from my brother's. 
and an alien to my mother's son. So this word can be used to describe anyone who has turned their back on you. Treating you not as a friend, but as a stranger. Anyone who turns their back on you. Now David tells us why they treated him like a stranger. He says, because they have not set God before them. And then he uses this word, Selah. You've seen that word used in the psalm. That's kind of a word that says, uh, think about, pause and think about this. Think about this. David is saying, ponder this thought. Those who know me have treated me like a stranger. (laughs) They've turned their back on me. And again, when David says they have not set God before them, he is telling us again, he had done nothing wrong. These people were acting in a way that was inconsistent with the will of God because when David was running from Saul, guess what? Saul already knew that David had been anointed as king. In fact, Saul's son, Jonathan, tells David this. In 1 Samuel 23, it says, Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while he was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David and encouraged him. Now think of that. Jonathan was likely to be the next king, and he's encouraging David. And what does he tell him? He says in verse 17 of 1 Samuel 23, Don't be afraid because... The hand of Saul, my father, will not find you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows this. (laughs) He knows this. And so what is Saul doing? He is trying to thwart the will of God. And the Ziphites were with him. They said, we'll tell you where he is. You, you, You find him, and you do whatever you want to do to him. And when they told that to Saul, he said, may God bless you. May the Lord bless you, for you've had compassion on me. Now think of that. Here he knows that David is God's anointed. He knows that David is going to be the next king. And when the Ziphites say, we'll bring him to you, bless you, sons. (laughs) How sad is that? Thwarting the very will of God and looking at killing David as... God's plan. So don't be surprised if you're wronged when you've done nothing wrong. And don't be surprised if it comes from a source that surprises you. And don't be surprised if they think they're doing the will of God. And that's the sad thing of it all. Being attacked by someone when you've done nothing wrong, and they really believe that they are an instrument of God in your life. That's what David was facing here. When you go through something like that, there's no wonder he's crying out to God, right? And that's what he's doing in this psalm. So the second thing we notice, don't be discouraged because you have a powerful God who will help you. Now, if you put yourself in David's shoes, it appears that his situation was hopeless. What are you going to do? you got the king and his army 
who is after you. You got people that are informing the king where you are. It looked like it was only a matter of time and David's life was going to be gone. Can you imagine being in a situation like that? I'm sure that's what many people thought David is toast. I mean, there's no way he's going to make it through this. So David does what he ought to have done. He cries out to God in prayer. In verse 1, he says, Save me. O God, by your name. And notice he says, And vindicate me by your power. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. Now, David might have been physically on the run, but he was spiritually on his knees, wasn't he? He was crying out to God. He said, God, I am in a situation that is hopeless, and the only way that I'm going to make it through this is by your power and your name. That is the only way that I will be delivered. So he cries out to God because he knows who God is, He knows that God can help him. In fact, in verse 4, notice how he identifies the Lord. He said, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. Isn't that great? Here he is in such a hopeless situation. He says, Lord, you're, you're my helper. You're my sustainer. In the midst of all that's going on, Lord, you are the one who is going to Help me. I wonder if David might have been thinking here of what the prophet Samuel said. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, when the Philistines were threatening the people of Israel. Remember the people of Israel, they cry out to God and and Samuel prays and and the Lord answers in, in such a powerful way. It says that he thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. And then Samuel took this stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen. And do you remember what he named it? He named it Ebenezer. Ebenezer saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. How did David identify the Lord? His helper. And I wonder if maybe David had seen that stone before. Maybe he had walked by there. Maybe that was a place that the people of Israel went to and just remembered what God has done because that's what Samuel wanted it to be, a place that the people would remember that God is their helper. And you wonder if if that was in the back of David's mind by using that way of describing God as my helper. When it appeared as if he was in a helpless situation, David believed that there is nothing that is too difficult for the Lord. And he cried out to him, Who is your helper? Where do you turn when you are faced with a situation that there is nothing you can do about it? You know where we have to turn our helper, the sustainer of our soul. Some of you have heard this story, but I know some of you have not. But I'm a rollerblader. Maybe not look like it in the winter, but anyhow. 
I go down around Fish Lake. There's trails down there. And I was rollerblading there just a couple summers ago, and there were two dogs that were running loose. Okay? Not supposed to be running loose. One was kind of a friendly one, and one was not a friendly one. And he came after me. His teeth were showing. The hair on the back, on his back was standing up. All I had was a water bottle. What are you going to do against a dog with a water bottle? And he would come close to me and I thought, I can't kick him. I'm on rollerblades. You know, if I go like that, you know what I'm going to do? Fall on my back. I thought I was going to be bitten severely. And I kept yelling at him and yelling at him and yelling at him. And he didn't do anything. Finally, you know what I did? I said, in Jesus' name, leave. And he turned around and walked away. And I thought to myself, there is a lesson for me in that. Calling out to Him was my last resort. (laughs) And it ought to be my first defense, right? In Jesus' name, when I mentioned the name of Jesus, that dog turned around and, and walked away. And I said, praise you, Jesus. You are so good. I don't know how many times... I've done something like that in life, you know. You're faced with a situation and you think, okay, what am I going to do? And how can I fix this? And, you know, what do I, you know. It's just like, why don't you get down on your knees and cry out to God? Why don't you go to your helper, your sustainer, your defender? (laughs) That's what David did. That's what we ought to do, right? So I learned a lesson that day. I hope I don't have to keep learning that over and over again, that prayer ought to be not my last resort, but my first defense. Save me, O God. You are my defender. You are my helper. But then there's a third lesson we learn here when we've been wronged. And this is a challenging one, because when we've been wronged, what is the natural fleshly response? You got me, I'm going to get you, right? Do you have that temptation? That ever come your way? I'm going to get you back. And I'm going to get you back worse than you got me. And what does that do? That's really helpful, isn't it? That is so helpful. No, it is not. So the third thing is, don't be vengeful. You have a faithful God who will defend you. One of the things you may discover when someone has treated you wrongly is that there are people who will try to help you with some bad advice. You know why? Because they see you're hurting. You've been wronged and they feel sorry for you and so they're going to help you with some not so good advice. David's men. Remember? Saul is chasing him through the desert. David is hiding in a cave. And Saul comes in. And David's men say what? Here's your chance. Here is your chance. God has led him into this cave so you can wipe him out. 
I'm paraphrasing, but that's the thrust of it. And what did David say? He said, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him. He is the Lord's anointed. And so David had to persuade his men with these words and didn't allow them to rise up against Saul. And then Saul left the cave and went on his way. And I can imagine them saying, David, you... How dumb can you be? This guy's trying to kill you. Take him out. I can't. This is God's anointed. You don't touch God's anointed. So that happened again. First Samuel chapter 26. Abishai said to David, Okay, you don't have to do it. I'll do it for you. Let me strike him the spear to the ground. He said, I'll just do it once. I won't even do it twice. How many, how many spears do you need to pin someone to the ground and kill them? Huh? I won't even do it twice, David. I'll just do it once. And David answered, he said, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? And David also said, as the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come that he dies. Or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. What is David telling his men? He's telling them that God is his defender. He is telling them that God will deal with those who wrong him. And that's exactly what David is saying in this psalm. In verse 5, he says of the Lord that he will recompense the evil to my foes. I will not take into my hands that which is God's responsibility. That's what vengeance is. It is taking into our hands that which is the responsibility of God. Because what does he say? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I think of Jesus on the cross. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, Peter says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in His steps. And what's the example? Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But what did he do? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. See what Jesus is doing? He's saying vengeance belongs to the Father. Vengeance is his, not, not mine. And that's exactly what David is doing. He's saying to his men, this does not belong to me. This is the work of God. He will be my defender. And He will bring vengeance in His way and in His time. Now, David discovered that God has many different ways. Many different ways to deal with those who have wronged us. We find one of those in 1 Samuel chapter 23, where David was in, in hiding... And the Ziphites gave this tip where he was. So Saul then is on one side of the mountain, David and his men on the other side of the mountain, and David was hurrying to get away. 
Saul and his men were surrounding David to seize them. But a messenger came to Saul. Just when they are ready to seize David, this messenger comes and says, uh, Saul, you got the Philistines coming from the other direction. You better get back and, and, and deal with them. And so he does. Now, who do you think had a hand in that? Who do you think was the one that brought that message at the very time when David was about to be seized by Saul? I think that's God's hand, don't you? God had a way of dealing with Saul at that point, and they called that place the Rock of Escape. <laughs> so you had the stone, Ebenezer, thus far the Lord has helped us, and now you've got the Rock of Escape. It was at that place that God intervened in David's life. God has other ways too. And sometimes the Lord even takes someone out, removes them from this life. Because David had said to his men, as the Lord lives, surely, he said, the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come that he dies. Or he will go down into battle and perish. So David is telling his men, God has many options. And God will deal with him. And according to 1 Samuel 31, what happened? Saul perished in battle against the Philistines. And that's when David took over as king. What a lesson to these men. They wanted him to take Saul out. And he said, God is my defender. God is my helper. God will deal with this. And I am not going to take into my own hands that which is God's responsibility. You know what? He does a much better job than we do. We would screw it up. God is our defender. I find it interesting how the psalm ends. You see how confident David is that God is going indeed to vindicate him. Verse 6, he says, Willingly I will sacrifice to you I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all trouble. And my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. Now, there, there is quite a change. When you compare verse 5 with verse 7. In verse 5, David says, The Lord will recompense the evil to my foes. In other words, God in the future is going to deal with those who have wronged me. And as he writes this psalm, Saul had not been dealt with yet. Okay, He is in the wilderness. Saul is after him. He is writing this psalm. God has not dealt with him yet as he writes this psalm. But look at verse 7. He speaks as if the Lord had already done so. For he has delivered me from all trouble, and my eye has looked upon, or looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. So will he do this, or has he done it? Here's what we call, what Bible students call, a prophetic perfect. It's a literary technique that describes future events 
as so certain to happen that they are described in the past tense. That's what David is saying. God, I believe that you are going to deal with this and it is so certain to happen that I am describing it as if it already has happened. A prophetic perfect. That's confidence, right? That's confidence. He speaks of it having already happened even though... He is still in the situation where God has not yet dealt with Saul and the Ziphites. Now, let me give you an illustration. I remember a couple years ago, I was watching the University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs, uh, still the reigning national champions, going for third in a row now this year, hopefully. I remember watching that championship game, and I was... What shall we say? Very nervous. And I would go out in between periods and shovel snow. I was shoveling snow off of the road and just to kind of get rid of some tension. <laughs> and, oh, blood pressure. I'm sure my blood pressure was up. I mean, that was just kind of a hard game to watch. But now that it's over, when, when, I, when I go online and watch it, I'm confident. You know why? Because I know what the result's going to be. I know what the result is going to be. I wish I would have known in advance. It would have made it a lot more easier to watch that first game. We already know in advance what the end will be for us who know Jesus, don't we? We'll be delivered. <laughs> From all our troubles, all our enemies, including the greatest enemy, the enemy of our soul. And that's why we can face all of these challenges that we experience in life with confidence. Because God will deal with all those things. He is our defender. He is our helper. In fact, the victory has already been won, right? at the cross for you and for me as we put our trust in Jesus. So we can thank Him today for the deliverance that we have because it is certain. Why? Because Jesus is our victor and we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So that's why David says, save me by your power. There's nothing I can do but God You're my victor. And I stand in you today. And that's where we need to stand. In this world where we are going to be wronged, we are going to be persecuted, we are going to suffer in in some ways, our victory is found in the Lord. That's why we bring our needs to Him today. We're going to sing as we close hymn number 498. And I love the words of this song, I must tell Jesus all of my troubles. I can't bear these burdens alone. I must tell Jesus. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are our helper. You are the one that vindicates us. You're the one that saves us. You're the one that provides for us. And as we face those 
at times in life when there's nothing that we can do. Help us to see that our hope is in you. And there's nothing that is too difficult for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.